Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 633. Chiefs and Niners will meet again. Back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, this seems to be the uh, early morning recording is our new our new tradition now. Yeah, maybe it should be. I mean, for yeah, maybe it's the better time slot. It's yeah. Uh, I got my coffee from my favorite fast food chain, Starbucks, and I'm yeah. ready to go. Yeah, getting <laughs> called out by listeners for uh, <laughs> classifying Starbucks as a fast food chain. You know how I feel, and maybe that's an American versus. Not well, American thing. He, here's the thing I do love. I do love getting called out for just just explaining the rules of the poll upon which I was giving you the quiz. You did defend it, though. <laughs> but I will defend it. In America, I think it qualifies as a fast food restaurant. I then looked up some things early this morning as I got shit on by fellow listeners. <laughs> it... In America, it qualifies under fast food wages. So, like from a from a government standpoint, it qualifies as a fast food chain. And then also the definition, at least the American definition of a fast food restaurant, is a restaurant that quickly and conveniently serves both food and drinks, either over the counter or through drive-throughs, with limited dine-in options. I mean, we go back to the issue I had on the original episode where this was discussed, which is I don't disagree with that definition, but that still, it can't be all-encompassing to me. I can't come up with a, a more refined definition that I agree with, but to me, Starbucks is not fast food. I mean, it's but, a coffee but place then- that serves some food. So then, okay, so then you're you're pushing up against the fact of the food, the word food. And I'm assuming that's what one of the listeners of the podcast berated me about. I think fast food specifically means like a style of food, fundamentally. In addition, oh, it's not even... It's oh, not even, now we're getting, now we're getting into it. Okay. It's not even, it's not even just that it's the, I do think one, the, the restaurant ch- or chain in question the focus has to be food, which in the case of Starbucks, it is not. It, the focus is very much drinks. So that's already different. And then I think that when you say fast food, I immediately picture certain types of food. And if you fall outside of that, it's not fast food in my opinion. But that's just maybe because you're racist. What about Chipotle? Is that fast food? I mean, I don't know why that makes. I don't know why that makes me. This seems like a major leap from one from one part to the other. Uh, Chipotle for me is a gray area. Oh no, no, it is not. Eric, <laughs> I got you. I have gotten you. No, Chipotle for me is a little bit of a gray area because I would say, for example, if you just go to a and like a. If, oh, if, he's, he's struggling listeners. To, if I go to a taco stand, I don't think that's fast food. But Chipotle is a little bit different. So Chipotle <laughs> might be. Okay. 
<laughs> takes it back a little to the might be. I understand the, the food versus drink, but I think at a point when it's a big enough chain, you have to start grouping it. Because like then a gray area one would be like Panera. Because Panera, I, I know they probably make more money on sandwiches, but they do sell a lot of different drinks and coffee options as well. Like that's part of their business is like they're almost half cafe, half sandwich shop. Yeah. Like a sandwich shop is not fast food to me. So like Subway is not fast food. I'm... <laughs> this is the problem. I've never <laughs> claimed I can come up with like the universal definition. Like, like I, 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 But I, I do understand what you mean. Because like a technically... deli. A deli is not right. fast food. If you walk into your local deli and they, they – make a sandwich for you and you walk away and you're going, Hey, I got some fast food for lunch. I would think you were a psycho. So, <laughs> and, and it's the same. It's why I, I said, love, I love that. That's what qualifies you as a psycho. Yeah. I, uh, I also murdered my family three days yeah. ago. You didn't That's, say anything about that. <laughs> this was the first red flag, but I mean, same. Like, it's like I said, the, no, the, I agree like, with you on that. Going to I, a bakery, going to a bakery. It's not a fast food. Like, but technically, it meets all of the requirements that you just described. I'm going to get something over the counter. It's food. It's going to be quick. There might be no dining options. I could get a sandwich or something else. But I would think it was really weird. If I said to someone, if we were having the conversation, what's your favorite fast food place? And they turned around and told me, like, their local bakery. I would... <laughs> question whether or not we were spending time together like legitimately that i think that wouldn't be me thinking this person was either super pretentious or incredibly just obnoxious like one of the two things would have to be the conclusion yeah i agree and i think maybe fast food brand then eliminates like a any sort of local one-off store because at the same time like even if you just went to like i have an independent owned burger place that I go to in Tucson I wouldn't even call that fast food I would call it like a burger restaurant even though everything's to go and they don't like serve you at the table I don't consider that fast food so to me fast food it has to be a brand as well well now you're thinking junk food more than fast food though I think Almost. but like but I'm thinking like as a as like a brand uh, maybe. I don't know. I, I guess it depends. It's obviously we don't want to get into like the individual restaurants, but I think if they're just serving you a burger to go, that's fast food. Like unless it's literally unless they're slow at doing it. I mean, that's, you know, well, five guys is pretty slow at doing it. It is. Yeah, it's true. It's not an efficient process. Yeah, but I don't know. Well, here we are again. Star back on back on fast food. <laughs> yeah. Starbucks, though, categorically not fast food in my mind <laughs> so is it what do you consider that just a cafe i would be like a, a coffee chain like a coffee shop chain coffee chain okay i would i'd be focusing like drink for example, same as if someone told me they were going to baskin robbins and it was fast food it's like well again it meets all of the all of the requirements that you described but i would it's be definitely a fast was, food brand no it's an ice cream shop <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's a like fast it's, food brand Every so many types of food delivery automatically would become fast food on uh, with that premise, and that I can't I can't sit with that. <laughs> can't sit. With that. <laughs> All right, Eddie, 
what can you sit with more? That Lamar Jackson is not him or that Brock Purdy still may or may not be him? Um, I could probably <laughs> sit with both of those concepts, right? Um, on Lamar Jackson, it is impossible at this point to ignore the narrative that he, in the biggest of moments, does not perform at the same in the same way. Like he's he starts to look like what in England you'd call like a flat track bully, like someone great against a terrible team in the at the end of October. You can rush for 150 yards and score three touchdowns. But Eddie, he looked so great the week before against the Houston Texans. In the second half he did, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, that, and you do have to factor that in. Having one good playoff performance from this season does matter, right? It's not as if it, he wasn't one and done the week before. That would have really lent into that particular narrative even more. But it's, he has to now prove himself. It, what will annoy me, right, is we're probably going to have to deal with next year Lamar Jackson and everyone associated with the Baltimore Ravens defending him and, to, and saying how the criticism is unfair and that he's being treated differently than other quarterbacks. You know, there's going to be a lot of storylines that come out over the next sort of 12 months in response to what we saw against the Chiefs. And I would like it in a sense if Lamar Jackson came out and kind of owned it of like, look, I think I am a very good quarterback, but unfortunately, so far in the playoffs, I have not been my best self. That, to me, would be addressing the issue in the proper way. Instead, it's going to be about like haters and doubters and all this kind of stuff, which it's like, you could, I, I think he's good, but I don't, I don't know if I'd want to be betting my life on him in a playoff scenario. Yeah. I, I mean, I will definitely acknowledge that over the past few years, I had did not think Lamar Jackson was, let's say, a top five QB. I will call that and say I disagree with that now, and I think he is a top five quarterback. There is no denying this season he played great, and it wasn't the Dolphins and Tua situation where he played great against you know, the one in 14 Carolina Panthers. I mean, they would not stop talking about on the broadcast, which is a true statement that they basically beat up on every team that had a winning record. Any team that made the playoffs, they beat up on, you know, even the Niners, they beat up on, you know, and, and yes, it's still the regular season, but regular season games count. You have to win them to make the playoffs and to, to show that you're a good team. And he did that consistently and he looked great. And he threw the ball well. He was accurate. His completions were high. His interceptions were low. Didn't fumble much. I mean, there's no denying he's a great quarterback. But I think it is completely fair to say he may not perform the best in the playoffs when you need him to be clutch. And I don't think anyone can say that I'm an asshole or dumb for saying that because, I mean, we, we <laughs> see it year reason. after year. <laughs> Lots of other reasons, but not for that particular reason. Yeah, no, I think I agree with everything you said there. I think if I were trying to defend Lamar Jackson at all, you know, you, I am a little bit more of a Lamar Jackson believer than you are, but I'm still not in the, he's sort of, uh, I, I don't know if I would have genuinely put him in the top sort of two or three legit sort of legitimate quarterbacks at any point really over his career. 
if I wanted to defend him at all, I would say the Ravens play calling and just game plan Very bad. against the Chiefs was bad. And it was completely different from everything we saw them do well over the course of the second half of that season. And there you have to wonder how much of that was him in the terms of how he was playing within that game. Like there were moments where it felt like he could have taken off and run with the ball and he seemed to just hesitate in the backfield and then either throw in an incompletion or kind of, you know, he ended up picking (laughs) sacked or picked up five or six yards instead of the sort of backbreaking 35 yard run that we see him do all the time. So that bit, it's unclear whether that's him or whether that's a specific plan that he is following. They didn't run the ball at all over the course of, particularly in that second half. I think they had, their running backs carried the ball eight times, something like that. It's everything they did well. And you can give the Kansas City all the credit in the world that their defense played well and they maybe took away some of the Ravens' best weapons. But fundamentally, when you only do something a handful of times, it's difficult for me to believe the Ravens just, uh, the Chiefs just completely took it away from you. Like we didn't see enough of the Ravens' run game to then decide that the Chiefs were definitely going to stop them. And a lot of good run teams will know almost, hey, maybe you can stop us the first 15 carries, maybe the first 20, but we're going to wear you down over time. And by the third and fourth quarter, we're going to be moving the ball efficiently on you. We see that week in, week out in the NFL. And for the Ravens to just kind of abandon that as a concept in a game in which they were never that far behind. Like, you could defend when we get to that game if the Niners had completely abandoned the Christian McCaffrey in the run game because they were losing by 17 points. You can understand it. Yeah, The Ravens were always within touching distance and just decided to play a completely different approach when all they needed to do was find... 10 points. Yeah. And it's interesting because, I mean, I think a lot of people still think the Ravens are this run heavy, you know, run almost every down team. And this year they haven't been, you know, the new offensive coordinator, they do pass the ball a lot more than they did previously. But one of the craziest stats I saw was on first down, they ran the ball 50% of the time. So on first down, it was, you know, one-to-one, whether it was going to be a pass or a run. In this game, they had 22 first down attempts. They only ran the ball five out of those times. So significantly decreasing what their genuine play calling was all season. Gus Edwards, who was their main running back this year, he had one carry in the first half, and it was a 16-yard carry. Like, you're giving your main running back one carry. Justice Hill had, I think, three or four uh, in, in that first half as well, but completely abandoned the run game early on. And a lot of it, from what it looks like, is the Chiefs basically said, we're going to load up the box and we're going to load up in the middle in your intermediate throws because it looks like that's where you're most successful is either you're going to give us early runs or you're going to throw in that intermediate area and we're going to force Lamar and the Ravens to kind of get more deep throws and be a little more creative. And some of that's on Lamar. I think he was two for six or two for seven on deep throws. But part of that's got to be on your, your offensive play calling. Like you have to adapt. You have to see what they're doing, understand, okay, they're going to challenge us to do this. We've got to break through it. We've got to come up with something new. And they did it like they, it was, they didn't run in the first half. And then they came out in the second half and like, 
I would have bet money on it that they were going to say, like, let's get back to who we are. Let's run on first down. Let's get these throws to like our tight ends. Isaiah likely was a force the last four weeks. And then Mark Andrews, before he got hurt, was having like another career year. They had four targets the whole game. I mean, these are guys that would get 10, 12 targets a game. Like they completely abandoned their game and like got nervous that the Chiefs called them out and didn't adapt. And when they came out in that second half, I, I, again, like I thought they were going to go back to what they did and they didn't. You're right. They ran the ball like the last four drives. I think they ran the ball like once. It was crazy. Yeah, no, it's it's difficult to explain, and they haven't come out subsequently. Not that they have to, obviously, speak publicly about it, but you would have expected some level of real explanation as to why they took the approach that they did, and we haven't really seen that. And then, yes, you throw in the fact that they have, I mean, a little bit of bad luck. I know everyone gives Snead the credit for punching the ball out with his A. Flowers attempt to reach for the end zone, and he obviously deserves credit for not giving up on the play and for, you know, being able to land that punch. But fundamentally, that's an unfortunate sequence of events. Like, you could have seen that exact scenario play out 99 other times in NFL games, and either he breaks the plane before the ball's punched out, or he manages to just hold on to the ball, or the punch doesn't quite make it, or, you know. So there were some other factors that kind of played into then sort of really highlighting the uh, mistakes and the poor planning that the Ravens were sort of having across their entire gameplay. I mean, the most frustrated people involved in all of that has to be everyone in the Ravens defense who, you know, you hold the chiefs to zero points in the second half and you're, and you lose a playoff game. I mean, you, you could have told everybody going into that game, the chiefs are going to score 17 points. And you would have thought, well, not only are the Ravens winning, but they're winning probably by at least 13. Like, this is not going to be that close of a game. Yeah. And I, you have to give Spagnuolo credit, I think, as the D coordinator. Like, he's, he, I think he acknowledges that this Chiefs offense isn't as good as it used to be. And he's being able to kind of take the game over a little bit uh, in, in almost all these playoff games now. But the the issue, I think, with, Lamar, I do agree the offensive play calling was bad, but he had a few bad plays. Like that interception was not good. <laughs> the interception, yeah, you mean the, the kind of game ending interception of the the triple coverage five yard short throw, which the he then said, "I thought it was going to be a pass interference." And I don't care if you think it is or not. You don't throw the ball with the intent of being like, "This is probably going to be pass interference." So let me throw this into triple coverage. <laughs> yeah, no. And he was also slightly hurt, I have to admit, by his by the receiver throwing his arm up. I don't know if you've watched the, the replays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm he's, open. Nah. He's open as he runs, as he runs Who's into that <laughs> an additional two uh, members of the secondary. But yeah, it's uh, it wasn't a great performance. And ultimately, the only way now Lamar Jackson is going to be able to shake that perception of him is by winning a Super Bowl. Even making the Super Bowl is not really going to prove anything. And I guess before we maybe transition a little bit onto then the Niners game. Well, I have a few more th- things from this one as well. I have. Does it make you re- – he is obviously going to win MVP. And the MVP is a regular season award. But in the nature of the award is that it heavily favors late season performance, right? So he was pretty unspectacular for the opening 
eight or nine weeks of the season. I mean, not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but the important, like if he, if they had blown out the Niners in the way that they did in week one instead of week 15 or whatever that was, it wouldn't have swayed the MVP opinion as much as it ended up doing. Does it make you rethink the fact that we're not going to have two-time MVP Lamar Jackson like he might retire with more MVP awards than playoff wins. <laughs> yeah, like, it might be. it's not it's not the craziest scenario. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, it's. I, I mean, he's still young. It's. I mean, that's the crazy part, right? He's still younger than Patrick Mahomes. He's got a lot of years left, so we'll see. I think he'll be back, and it. I mean, a lot of it, like there is. It's pretty funny, actually. I was at a seminar where they did a study where they actually showed there is proof to people who choke in big situations a lot of time it's because they're faced with a reward so big that they've never seen before so there actually is some proof to the like adage of you know as you get there more often it just becomes more of a game and, you know, like the first time you're there, maybe you're too nervous because it's too big of a, a spot. But as you get into that spot more, so maybe with just some more opportunities, you know, it, it won't it won't be too much for them. And we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I think they're going to have a good team for another few years, so I wouldn't count them out as being up there, although they're in a tough division and you have a division where, you know, Burrow will be back next year um, and that's going to make it just a lot more difficult in general. <laughs> Sean Watson will be back. Yeah, Joe Flacco it will not be back. <laughs> Might be back. Whoever's but, playing quarterback for the Steelers will be back. So the first one, I, I have three points. I, I want your the Eddie the Eddie rant maybe slash opinion on. How much of this do you put on Zay Flowers, who one had a really nice catch and then a really dumb taunting penalty to push them fifteen yards back from where they were. And then subsequently then fumbled on that one yard line afterwards. How much do you put on on him for this loss? Not a lot. I mean, the taunting penalty is pretty unacceptable because it's just a it was like a super clear taunting penalty. Like there was no doubt that that was going to get called for taunting. And at a stage of the game when you'd have to question your like mindset for why you would taunt then. I could understand if that had been them driving to win the game. And you you kind of make a play, and then you decide to taunt a guy. But when you're still going to be losing, no matter what the outcome of that drive is, kind of insane to decide that that's when you kind of want to stand over someone. Uh, so I would be very, I'd be highly critical of the taunting. You know, if I were a coach or on the team, I think it's tough to blame him for the fumble. I know you could have the Bill Belichick mindset of never reach out for the end zone. And if you have that as a team policy, then maybe you could say, look, we're, you know we don't do this. The risk-reward, it's not worth it. And we have a quarterback who's fundamentally going to be unstoppable from one yard out, so you know we would have scored had you just gone down on the yeah. one- or two-yard line. And many but people in, who probably took Lamar Jackson as an anytime touchdown score. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not not speaking from a personal standpoint at all, I'm sure. But in the moment when you can see the end zone right there, I think it's difficult to expect a player yeah. not to throw themselves in. 
And the scenario could have been different. He could have gone down at the one and then they fumble on the subsequent play. And then people are critical of him for like, where was the extra effort to try and, which to be honest, you almost saw take the lions game against the Niners at the very end of the game. They have that tight end who definitely could have scored the touchdown and instead went out of bounds at like the one yard line. They then had to use four plays and burn a timeout. I don't know if he could have, because I think that guy was so shocked. He got the ball. He like literally stood there for like half a second. Be like, Oh fuck. What do I do now? (laughs) That was unreal. He caught it and turned and just stood there. And I was like, what are you doing, dude? Run. (laughs) But you know, you you see a moment like that, where that decision to not put in the extra effort to get in, I yeah, mean, probably didn't change. Probably not the putting the extra effort, but just not like there could have been a potential opportunity to maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I agree so, with you. So I think we're so, and we'll probably get on this on a number of topics with both of these games. It's so outcome based, right? The was the decision correct, and yeah. I, I think the his decision to try and reach for the end zone is the correct one. It's just unfortunately, yeah. in this instance, it went really badly. Let me one a only one a that now that we brought this reach not reach into it. How do you feel about that fumble? Then going as a touchback, because many people on Twitter or X or whatever were complaining about how dumb is this rule when you fumble on the one, the other team gets it on the twenty, and it's like no, you idiot. That's when you fumble it out of bounds into the end zone that the other team gets the ball in the 20. I have no problem when you fumble the ball and the other team recovers it, whether they recover it in the end zone or not. That's just the luck of the, the, the fumble. Like you fumbled it and the other team recovered it. That's no different than any other fumble anywhere on the field, except that it happens to be in the end zone, which will always go to the 20. <laughs> yeah. So you know, my general opinion is that I think all fumbles out of bounds should be turnovers. So I have no issue with the like fumble through the end zone yeah. resulting in a turnover. But I these are very be, different. Like the fact that people different. are trying to compare them, they're very different. The one thing I will say is maybe the going to the 20 is too generous. Like maybe that's obviously you don't want to be in a situation where you're totally backing a team up on their own goal line. So that in a sense, there's no punishment. I mean, not no punishment, but limited. Like you don't want to be like, well, we put the ball in your own one and then it's a safety and the team gets the ball back and they think, well, actually that kind of didn't matter too much. And maybe what's fair, we, the 10, the 10 is fair. I can, cause the 10 is like, if you get a safety, when you start from your own 10, you've messed up pretty dramatically. So all end zone turnovers should be placed back to the 10. That's the rule we're going to write into the NFL this year. Yeah, I also think the thing I would like about that too is you do also see a lot of the times when either on an interception, particularly on an I know exactly what you're gonna say. The guy chooses the risk reward. Yeah, yeah, he chooses not to try and return it at all because they know I'm probably not getting 20 yards. But if it was only at the 10, you'd get more people doing dumb things, and that would ultimately lead to more entertaining (laughs) football. Yeah, because a guy would be like, I can get 11. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I agree with you on all those points. Point two. I am. This is one in particular. I, I mean, yes, maybe. Actually, I, I won't even admit that. The Chiefs getting all of the calls is a very old and boring narrative. 
where one, I think it's just because the Chiefs are always there and they always win that you have more instances in your head that you can recall like a Chiefs call going their way because they've played eight playoff games in the last three years versus a Cowboys call going their way because the Cowboys can't fucking win a playoff game to begin with, so they're never there. So I think that narrative is old. I think it's particularly old in this game when people are, one, complaining about a taunting call where the guy got up basically like like thrusted into his face and then threw the ball at him and spun it on him. That's a taunting call every way. The Kelsey getting headbutted right in front of a referee is going to get called every time. Patrick Mahomes getting literally clotheslined on a pass interference is going to get called every time. So this fact that the Chiefs get every call is annoying because these are calls that have been made consistently throughout the year. Like, yes, they got more calls, the Ravens, because they played dumber and they couldn't hold their composure in several key moments. Conversely, there was that one call that the Chiefs had the holding call on that screen pass that was not a hold. The guy let him go and threw him as he let him go, which happens all the time in screen passes in the NFL and never gets called. And they called that. So like, and that was like for a touchdown, I'm pretty sure, or like a 34 yard uh, screen. Yeah, that was a touchdown screen, 34 yard. Like, so I could easily pick out a call there that completely changes that game. So that is getting so annoying to me. Uh, I, I semi-agree with you. So I do think there's the confirmation bias element that just because the Chiefs are, as you said, in more playoff games and in more big game scenarios that you, just by the law of averages, they're going to either have favorable decisions or questionable decisions go their way at important moments in time and you're going to remember them in a way that we won't remember the Jags getting the benefit of a kind of iffy call in week seven against the Texans, right? Because it just doesn't matter that much. So there is that. I guess the slight thing is the Chiefs are just kind of annoying. Like Mahomes is very bitchy about everything. He does a lot of throwing his hands up and looking at the officials. And I think that contributes to the idea that not only are they maybe sometimes benefiting from the calls, but actively seeking them in a way that maybe other players are not. And I think in the case of Mahomes, that is 100% correct. False. Like he actively, no, no, correct. I mean, you could just, Mahomes wants all the pass interference calls and stuff that I think some quarterbacks, obviously everyone would take them, but would not be looking towards the officials expecting to get something. So I think there's that part. Oh, I think thing that's I, a bias as well. Probably. I watch not, the NFL every week and every quarterback like runs to the ref on a pass you've interference. You've never seen call. Brock Purdy do it. But oh yeah, okay. Because he's on the ground praying it's not intercepted. <laughs> Brock Purdy got smashed in the face with a direct helmet contact to his head and just oh got up God. and kept playing. But anyway, the the other thing I guess I'll say on that too is I actually don't have an issue when in any sport with the good teams and elite players benefiting from some of the officiating. Oh. Hot take. I think sometimes you've earned the right to get the benefit of the doubt. All right. That that when you when we know when you have a large body of work, we get to know like, oh, okay, Travis Kelsey doesn't go down in those, you know, like how oh whoa, how did he not get to that ball? He he probably was being held. You know, like there's 
it's a little bit easier to come to that conclusion for Travis Kelsey than the fourth string tight end who's had played two snaps in the NFL. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think you see it less in football. Obviously, like the NBA would be the biggest example of that, right? Where there's like the superstar calls, you know, LeBron James, minimal contact, kind of going up for a layup, gets the call, and the 10th man on a team definitely isn't getting that. But I think sometimes you, you kind of earn that right to just get some things that other people don't. All right. Here's my third point. I don't understand the narrative of, oh, I am so sick and tired of the Chiefs being in the Super Bowl. Why can't they just lose? I don't want to see this anymore. I, I genuinely don't get it because I don't get where there can be that much hate put on the Chiefs. So I look at the let's look at the previous dynasty where you have the Patriots. You have Bill Belichick, which I think is a is a coach that has a lot more talking points in a negative direction than Andy Reid has. Andy Reid seems like a very likable, funny guy, easygoing. Bill, you're, you're let me finish. Let me you're finish. A Belichick hater. Though. Let me finish. No, no. Let me finish. Bill Belichick is notorious for being cranky, annoying, like disre- like disregards reporters and questions. There, I can see people having a lot more issues with seeing Bill Belichick, the cranky guy with the cutoff sweatshirt on the sidelines. They also had so much more in terms of like controversies and conspiracies with the flate gate and, and uh, like trying to pick up opposing uh, teams plays and things like that. Like I can see there to be reasons why you don't want to see the Patriots in games anymore because they're like the bad team. I don't see this with the chiefs. Like I don't see where there's so much hate. The only thing people will point to is like, Oh, I don't want to see Taylor Swift, but they really don't show her that much anymore. They don't really talk about it that much. Like occasionally they show her celebrating, but she's in the same booth that Mahomes wife in. So they're going to see that anyway. Like, I don't get all the hate for a team that honestly, like I am not a chiefs fan, but I enjoy watching the chiefs cause I like their team. I think they have good fun players. They're, they're not in like entrenched in all these controversies, fun coach, like no major issues, you know, don't have an owner who's, I don't know. Well, like they've, they've, they've had some issues. Let's I mean, Let's not give a pass. Tyreek Hill had some issues, and he was a big part of their team previously. They we got to highlight a number. You know what? And they got rid <laughs> yeah. of him. They were like, "We don't like this attitude. You're out." We got to highlight a number of their players over the. But that's the case of every team in the NFL. I'm not trying. There's no exception there for me. I do agree with what you're saying. People who just sort of hate, especially like if you like sports, you should love greatness in sports. Yeah, like. I can understand not becoming a fan. Like I'm not saying be a fair weather fan who like, whoa, I was a Patriots fan. Now the Chiefs are really good. I'm now a Chiefs fan. But you have to, if you're a Jets fan, yeah, you could get tired of the Patriots beating you every year and of a team in your like arrival winning the Super Bowl. But at the same time, at a certain moment in time, you've got to admire the what goes into that level of dominance. The one thing I will say, I'm a little bit, I I have a degree of Chiefs exhaustion this season, 
And that to me is because <laughs> that's I don't... self-inflicted because you've constantly been saying how bad they are. And now you're that's... eating your words week after I'm, week. That's I'm not. self-inflicted. <laughs> it's because I genuinely don't think they're that good. And I feel the same way about the Chiefs right now that we felt about the Eagles in week nine. Like I watched them and I think, yeah, I can see you, you see flashbacks to when they were great and you still see those elements and there are some very good players in that team but deep down I don't think they're that good I do not think they're one of the two best teams in the NFL I don't think they're even one of the two best teams in the AFC and they're going to be in the Super Bowl and that's fine this is like sports is not supposed to just deliver the best teams all the time winning things it would be boring if that were the case we could just meet preseason and say looking at these rosters it looks like the ravens are absolutely stacked like let's just give them the lombardi trophy right now that isn't that isn't the point but and this that was also the case sometimes not every patriots team that won the super bowl or made the super bowl was the 2007 patriots you know like there was it, that's part of the dynasty in a sense is not being that great, but still managing to get there. But I, I've got a little bit of chiefs exhaustion. <laughs> I think that's self-inflicted. My question to you that I think other people listening on this podcast are, are probably asking the same thing. Like, what do they have to do? You may not think they're good, but now they've beaten the Bills, who everyone thought they were going to be like the playoff, AFC playoff team riding in on a hot streak. They then beat the Ravens, who everyone said was the number one team in the NFL and thrashed the supposedly good 49ers. Like, yes, maybe their offense isn't as explosive as it was in previous years, but I think you have to give them credit that they are winning games. 100%. And again, I'll say... Every dynasty you could highlight, look, the Chicago Bulls in 1998 were not that amazing. Like they were a good team, but they were, you know, running on fumes, most of them. And there's, you know, that that was not the same team that, you know, won 72 games a couple of years prior to that. So it's not unusual to still see the end of the dynasty, which I think this is. Now, maybe... You know, like in the same way the Patriots had two stages of that, maybe even you could argue three of the Brady-Belichick dynasty. Like there was obviously it was not always one team. This is the potential end of this first version of this Chiefs dynasty of the kind of reliance on Mahomes with Kelsey, with Tyreek Hill prior to that. You know, and the next version will be Mahomes with a different set of receivers and maybe a greater focus on their defense. Who knows? You know, like we saw that with the the Brady Patriots that they didn't look quite the same in each of those sets of Super Bowl victories that they had, even within those sets, they sometimes looked pretty different from one to the next, but I don't know. It's an eye test thing for me. Maybe they will win the Super Bowl. I wouldn't stun me if they beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I'm not saying that this is not like me feeling as if the 49ers are unbeatable going into this matchup because the 49ers have not been that impressive so far in the playoffs. So, you know, that's certainly not what my mindset is, but it's the eye test. 
And I, in a sense, I got to stick to it, right? It's how I felt about the Eagles and eventually the Eagles, and you felt that way too. And the, eventually the Eagles proved us right. They could have kept proving me wrong all year. They could have won the Super Bowl, and I still would have said, deep down, I don't think they're that good, and I think something's wrong here. The difference is I think when my feeling on the Eagles was that they were something kind of within the team was rotting. I don't think that's the case with the Chiefs. I just think it's they're not that good. And they've had a little bit of luck. The Ravens shat the bed in that game. Like we oh, just discussed. here we go. No, but we just discussed it. Like ultimately, right, how much credit can I give to this Chiefs team when they scored zero points in the second half? You know, like how good that is not. You can give the, all the credit in the world to their defense or whatever, but zero points in a half of football in the NFL. You got to say, well, we can't. We, I can't be wowed by them because it basically in probably every you know, like if if we copy and paste the Chiefs' performance and the, they play the Ravens ten times, they're losing nine of those. They played oh like my they God. Did. I love this. I love it. I love the way you could justify by just making random hypotheticals. <laughs> sure. <laughs> they win 9.9 out of 10. <laughs> but you, you, you know, I mean, held like, the I get... Ravens to 10, held the Dolphins to seven, held the Bills to seven in the second half. I mean, those are three solid back to back to back performances. That's great. And you know what? I'll give their defense a lot of credit for how they've played in this postseason. But do you know who's not getting all the praise for the Chiefs making the Super Bowl again? Their defense. Oh, I People think they are, are though. I th- no, I, no, no, I think no, 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 no. People are saying, this Chiefs defense is better than it used to be. This Chiefs defense is pretty good. But fundamentally, all the talk is Patrick Mahomes, four Super Bowl appearances, right. Travis Kelsey, greatest tight end of all time. Like the focus is very much on the superstars. It's normal. It's, it's the way the world works. Everyone focuses on offense over defense in every sport except in rare exceptions, like the Ravens, you know, like there's some teams that define themselves by their defensive strength. And then that still remains their identity. Well, maybe Steve Spagnuolo needs to start dating Dua Lipa and maybe he'll put it in more coverage. (laughs) Here's what I'd ask, I guess. Let's say that had been the Super Bowl, because I think this is what's going to prove my point about why maybe there's some Chiefs exhaustion. Say that what we say that Ravens Chiefs game had been the Super Bowl. Who do you think wins the Super Bowl MVP? I'd say Travis Kelsey, right? Because he had whatever, 11 receptions or whatever it was. I don't think Mahomes gets it because he scores zero points in the second half. But there's no defensive player who gets it, even though their defense has won them that game. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, actually, I probably think Mahomes probably gets it. I mean, he was pretty. That's even worse. Yeah, like a 90 QBR. <laughs> I mean, but their their most active offensive player in the second half was their punter. <laughs> you know, you could get you could honestly make me I could probably try and you know, come up with an argument that their punter was their offensive MVP in the second half of that game. But what but I don't understand like I don't get what your argument is. The defense does win championships sometimes. It does. A lot of the time, but my point is that the players who are getting a lot of the credit for them getting back there again, to me are not the right players. So they beat the Ravens there because of how well their defense played. And also because the Ravens, but it's a team defense, right? Like I I don't think they're playing well as a team. There's no one standout player. And that doesn't mean that. But we do a good job of identifying. And again, it's the difference between an offense and a defense. It's always going to be that way. You know, like to win Super Bowl MVP as a defensive player, you need either like 
five sacks and a forced fumble. You need a defensive touchdown. You need something spectacular to happen. You need a the performance of your life, whereas a quarterback just needs to probably win the game and no one else do anything too amazing. So, you know, but deep down, I think that's what frustrates me a little bit with watching this team. And look, I, I'm fully prepared that the Monday after the Super Bowl when we record an episode, if the Chiefs have won, that... that I'm going to have to listen to you say that the Niners were the better team. The Niners are the better team. <laughs> I'll say it now. The Niners it's are the better so team. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, they are the better team. It doesn't mean that I think they're absolutely going to win, but they're the better team. <sighs> There's not a lot of players. If we really went, you know, if we did the matchup, if whatever, there's not a lot of trades I'm making between these two teams. I think if they did just play each other, if this was a seven-game series, if we suddenly went to like NBA style for the finals, the Niners are heavy favorites in the seven-game series here. Like, and I know you're rolling your eyes or whatever, these hypotheticals I love to create, but people can either agree with me or disagree with me. That doesn't mean... Most years in most sporting events where you have playoffs or knockouts, the best team doesn't win. You know, like that's just the case. The If you want to have the best team win, you adopt a 40, you know, game regular season and you crown the champions as a result of that. Like the best team wins the Premier League every year. The best team doesn't win the Champions League every year. And this might be a year where the Chiefs winning it are not going to make me think they're the best team all of a sudden. That, to me, wouldn't make sense. But, okay, I have one argument that we just discussed. Lamar Jackson is the MVP. He was the best quarterback in the regular season. In the regular season. Not according to me, but sure. Okay, of course, not according to you. No, no, but... But according to every every NFL critic, he's going again. To win. Not yeah. He yes. He is going to win the regular season MVP award. Okay. Yes. But that doesn't mean like he might be the best regular season player. But there is something to playing well in big games and coming to play in games that actually matter and have real stakes at the line. So may yeah, maybe the Niners individually have the best talented roster put together but that doesn't mean that when you put them in the biggest game of their lives that they perform well as a team so i think there's something to that whereas i think you put the chiefs together oh, you're and dealing they can with perform such, well but frank you're, you you've got a scientific background we're dealing with such small sample sizes here that to draw conclusions like that is impossible right that's why i have to go to the hypothetical of like if we could have these teams play each other more what do i think the outcome would be which is complete hypotheticals but i can't watch a player have one bad playoff performance and then say i just don't think he has it in him because i've watched patrick mahomes have bad playoff performances now have you yeah i did on sunday actually because they scored zero points in the second half and a good quarter wait you're gonna say he had a bad game i don't think he had a good game Oh my god! I think he had an. I think he had an. I'm going to make this argument, and this is this can help us transition onto the next game. The most impressive quarterback from those set of games was Brock Purdy. Oh my god, that's insane! Brock Purdy, the guy who had a terrible first half, one of the worst first halves ever. Oh wait, that was a, according to and what? then and then in his second half, 
the game defining play was an interception off or off a cornerback's head that w- should have been picked off bounces up in the air and Ayuk catches it and that game turns around. You know that's I've what said makes this, his performance good. You know I've said this to you uh, anyway. I know they picked up the defensive pass interference on that play. There was no pick, penalty called. There was no penalty they, called. Okay, but okay, well then I mean we were dealing in the hypothetical of it could have been caught. It was defensive pass interference. It wasn't a badly thrown pass. Like that 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 I will disagree on. I'm not going to say like the the outcome, the end result that it got, came from it was obviously a huge amount of luck involved, but I don't think you'd criticize the actual throw itself. There's not like Lamar Jackson throwing into triple coverage. Now he got away with a few other throws, certainly in the first half that could have been picked off and Brock Purdy over the course of this season has tended to get away with a few bad throws. He's riding his luck a little bit, but I still think you cannot tell me. I mean, what, what do you mean the worst his first half performance by, uh, by who in what situa- situation it was a, it was an average first half quarterback performance. I mean, that first half he had one interception and they had one good drive as a team with his best throw being a, a fullback toss out to use check for 20 yards. Okay. Let's do the same analysis of Patrick Mahomes in the second half then. Cause you're going to tell me that Patrick Mahomes played better in, on they didn't Sunday? throw the ball in the second half. Well, that's not, not his fault. They don't throw it. Probably couldn't trust him. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Can't trust no, him. but I mean, honestly, like it's, it is interesting, <laughs> right? I actually don't think what I've said to me, if I had to choose the only person who I would pick as having had a better uh, performance, it's Jared Goff, like probably the best performance by a quarterback. On, but then it's tough for me because m- most of the offensive damage that the Lions did was on the ground. So there's not too much from that golf performance that looked, you know, that was particularly impressive. But if I ranked how those quarterbacks in terms of who I think actually played the best over the full course of the game, not just picking first half, second half, whatever, it's Purdy one, golf two, Mahomes three, Lamar Jackson four. <laughs> you just do this to rile me up. <laughs> I really don't. I love I, it. I, I genuinely. This I'm isn't not. Me. You know what? I should have made a new Year's, new Year's resolution just to not take your fucking psychotic bait because you want to call you want to call people psychos for saying Starbucks is fast food to say Mahomes had the second worst game in the playoffs where he started twelve for twelve, set the tone, wow. and ended the game on that first fucking quarter. Basically, is insane. Wait, he ended. The, hold on a second. They scored seventeen points. Game over. He set the tone. He set the tone. You know what he said? He said, we're going to come out in the second half. We're just going to run the ball, but I dare you to come close because then I'll start throwing again and I'll fucking tear it up again. Because here's what I would, because as full transition into the second game, because I think we spent enough on the Chiefs um, there. I'm I'm not like there's the people. Brock Purdy is one of the most divisive topics of we've seen in recent times in the NFL. And now it is completely polarized. Either people think he is the next Tom Brady or they think he shouldn't be in the league. Like there tends to be very little middle ground in terms of people's analysis of him as a quarterback. I think it is full middle ground, which is I think is he's a young quarterback who does some dumb things, who does some very good things, who is in a very good system. Like, for example, do I think if the 49ers had Justin, I saw some people responding like this week, the kind of talking heads on various shows, including some saying like, well, I'd take Brock Purdy over Justin Herbert. 
now oh, 14 point favorites if they've got Herbert in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Who knows? Over the course of his career, Brock Purdy might prove to be a better quarterback than Justin Herbert. That I don't rule out. But I also don't am, I'm not going to say I think if Justin Herbert were playing quarterback for the 49ers, they're probably also in the Super Bowl this season. You know, like that's that that 49ers team is very good across the board. And I think there's probably 10 to 15 quarterbacks who could have got them to this same position of which Brock Purdy is one. Like he still deserves credit. I don't think that the 50th best quarterback in the NFL could have got them to the Super Bowl because we saw what that looked like with Jimmy Garoppolo. And yeah, they made it once, but we also watched him. I went back and watched the Rams Niners NFC championship game from the year the Rams won the Super Bowl where the Niners get the ball back down three points with a minute and 42 seconds left or whatever it was <laughs> and one timeout and it's two incompletions and Jimmy Garoppolo desperately flicking an interception and I couldn't I felt like I remember how unconfident I was in Jimmy Garoppolo and I don't feel that way about Brock Purdy I think that's that means something but to finish that thought process, he at times makes some pretty spectacular plays that if, for all these people who really hate him, if Patrick Mahomes were making, not that he doesn't make them, but if, you see, if he were making it that time, people would be losing their minds over. So, for example, there was the third down when he kind of scrambled to his left and tossed it, and Jennings made a really great catch. But if that was Mahomes to Kelsey, it's like on every highlight reel forever. There was the first that there was the throw he had on third down where he evaded pressure on the on the drive where they took the lead with a field goal. He evades pressure, escapes, rolls to his left, throws it to Yuschek on for the first down right on the sidelines. Kind of gets overlooked in terms of big plays in that game. Again, if that's Mahomes, it's being spoken about endlessly over the course of the week. So those are my thoughts. I think he played pretty well over the course of that entire game. I mean, his best play was probably that, uh, I think it was like one of the 20 handoffs to McCaffrey where he just carried the team. That was a really nice play he made. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't get as worked up by your, because the difference is I actually believe my takes and I know you're just trying to get me riled up and that actually doesn't work on me. But I No, I don't think, like, I disagree with you that Mahomes was the third worst quarterback in that in that championship week. I do give Purdy credit. I don't think he had his best performance in the first half, but what I actually now a few times we've seen, it doesn't seem to phase him. He'll have, you know, he'll make some bad throws, he'll miss some open receivers, and we've seen other quarterbacks who after that, like you can tell it's just going to be a train wreck of a day, whereas he genuinely seems to just shake it off and will go out and try and make those same difficult throws series after series. And he does hit them. Like, I I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's a bad quarterback at, at all. Like, I think it's crazy that people think he's a check down quarterback. He makes some really nice throws into tight, tight windows. But I think there was a chance there that this narrative could have been slightly different had that Ayuk play not happened. I think that completely changed the game. Well, I, I think that along with Dan Campbell being a complete jackass changed yeah, the game. But, but well, yeah, but I mean, look, yeah, no. Do I think 
but do but I that's think, not. That's, wait, let me finish. Let me do finish, I think? Though. But do I? But but I could probably. You know, we we talk every week about how fine. I know. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. But what I'm going to say is, regardless of that, I still think he came through and played well. So like. Yes, whether there was some luck that they were able to continue to win or not, I think at the end of the day, that doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you still have to score, what, 17 points to to win that game, and they did. And they looked good doing it, and he looked good doing it. And I think what was actually interesting in this game is it wasn't even just his throws. He was able to make a lot of nice runs to continue those drives that I didn't think he could do. So I think that even adds an element to make him even better quarterback is that he has a little bit of that Patrick Mahomes in him where like a third and seven, the the pass isn't there. And all of a sudden he's like scrambling for a first down. And you're like, how the hell is he scrambling? This is Brock Purdy. But he had a few of those that were pretty nice. Yeah, no, I think those were all fair points. But yeah, ultimately, right, we can every most games we could say, well, if that hadn't happened, it's probably a different outcome in the same way, right? If Zay Flowers doesn't have the ball punched away and the Ravens score a touchdown there, I think the Ravens probably win that game because there's no indication that the Chiefs, like I don't see why the Chiefs offense suddenly dramatically improves because the Ravens scored. Maybe they do. Maybe there's a sense of urgency and, uh, you know, good teams respond to what the opposition does. Obviously, we, again, it's purely hypothetical, but had you not had a pretty spectacular defensive play. There's a chance, you know, saying the narrative, the narrative of that Chiefs game might be Patrick Mahomes punted the ball six, I mean, not personally, but, you know, six possessions, six punts, didn't score a point in the second half and allowed, handed the game to the Ravens. You know, like there's, but he gets bailed out by the fact that his defense made some big plays. Lamar Jackson made some stupid ones. So through no fault or credit of his own, he we get to focus on some plays he made in the first and second quarter. That's cool. The reverse is Jared Goff, who didn't actually do very much wrong from a Lions perspective over the course of that game either. But because of mistakes made by other people in his team, we get to talk about him blowing one of the biggest leads in a in an NFC championship game. You know, like I don't think you look through back through that Jared Goff performance, the fourth down that's the incompletion where the momentum starts to shift. His throw is perfectly good. Like he kind of steps into back up into the pocket to escape some pressure that's coming around the side from Bosa. He it's a decently thrown ball. It should be caught. It's dropped, turnover. You know, he didn't do much wrong. There's a fumble by a running back that he has nothing to do with. You know, there's lots of little things that go into that loss that he has no, are completely outside of his own control. But I guess for this game, we can really focus on Dan Campbell's decision-making. I think we're going to disagree a little bit in terms of right or wrong, but I do disagree with some of the analysis that has been carried out in terms of what the outcome of the on, on whether or not he was correct to me the biggest issue i have is he is basically saying we are the lions and we go for it on fourth down i probably don't trust my kicker and we go for it on fourth down but then at the end of the first half in basically an identical situation they had i think they were four i think they had fourth down from the four yard line they took the three points now you could make the argument that if 
at that point he trusts his kicker because it's just a gimme. It's a chip shot. The other two scenarios were not. So that's his one sort of little bit of context you can add. But fundamentally, that shows some inconsistency in, okay, you don't always go for it. So you do have some sense sometimes it's good to take the points. And then also, in addition to that inconsistency, the like, this is what we do argument to me doesn't work because obviously the the stakes change in different games. So it's really cool to be the team that goes for it on fourth down of the third quarter against the Vikings in the regular season. It doesn't need, you necessarily need to do it in the NFC championship game. Like you need to adjust your playing style based on the situation, the opposition, the momentum within the game itself. Yeah. I I just don't get Dan Campbell. I mean, The inconsistency is what kind of what makes me a little angry because in that first half, you have the ball at the end of the half on the two yard line and you have the option to either go for the touchdown or kick the field goal to go up 17 at the end of the second half or end of the first half at the end of the second quarter, he's willing to. What? Wait, where where are we in the game here? End of the first half, end of the end of the first half. You're end of the first half. Okay. Yeah. Because it was end of the first half, end of the second half. End I, of the I meant second to say quarter. I meant to say end of the second, end quarter, of the second quarter or okay. end of the first half. He's willing to kick the field goal to go up seventeen instead of taking the touchdown to go up twenty one. And I understand it's the end of the half, so the other option or going is, for the touchdown. It wasn't yes. a guarantee, right? It's, At that point, they were they were crushing <laughs> yeah sure but you don't like oh yeah. well we chose not to take the touchdown but yeah yes. i know it's yes um and i understand it's the end of the half so there's the option that maybe they get no points out of it and you're only up 14 at the end of the half but there he thinks it's important to go up three scores with still two full quarters to go but then when there's less than two quarters to go somewhere in the mid third quarter and he has that same option he decides to go for it from a longer distance for less benefit, where even if they get the first down, that doesn't even guarantee they get a touchdown. Whereas here, if they'd gotten a yard and a half, they get the touchdown at the end of the first half. So I don't understand his his thinking there where now all of a sudden it's not worth being up 17 later in the game. Like it, I, I don't get it. And I, to be honest, I would have done the complete reverse. I would have gone for the touchdown at the end of the first half and said, hey, listen, either we're up 21, we go into that locker room and we basically say, like, we've just dominated them. We're going to win this game. Versus if you go up 14, you still say, like, hey, whatever, we're still up two scores and we probably should have gotten more points. Look how good we're doing. Like, it, you can spin that either way. Like, I don't understand going for the three at the end of the half there. You really could have set the tone versus if it, and I don't understand it in his mindset. Whereas now, when you can go up three scores, you don't. It doesn't make sense to me. That those two, the the flip flop on those two, I don't agree with. And then I definitely don't agree with at the end to to tie the game with seven minutes left. You don't at least attempt that field goal. Because in a worst case scenario, you give them the ball back at the 40. And if you I I I I just didn't get that one. And even the analytics were pretty much almost right right on the line 
Like I think the analytics said there was like a point percent. It was like point three percent to go. So I disagree with you on choosing to go for it at the end of the half because I think pushing it to a three score game and ending on a ending a half on a high is important. Like for carrying that momentum. Oh, so you believe in momentum. Yeah, I always have. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I'm not Bill Barnwell. I, I think that's the dumbest thing that the world of analytics has ever delivered. But I and I can get not going. I can get going for it even on the second one. I don't get going for it when you're down three and you are within field goal range. That's when. And his defense, right, is that even if they'd kicked it, this is a Niners team that can kind of chew clock. And his thought process was we might not get the ball back. And you can kind of understand where he's coming from. And I guess you could say it's unfortunate that he had to make that same decision three times in one game. Like that's a little bit unusual, right? That we can literally point to three very clear instances where this mattered. But I, I would have probably done, I would have probably kicked the field goal every time. But I do kind of get, if I were being really critical, is the fact that they never chose to run the ball on those fourth downs when the thing that they were doing best was running the ball. Like, I don't know why teams abandon the run. Okay, it's fourth and two, and you don't want to get stuffed. You feel like that's a more, and we spoke about it in the, in the end of the, the Alabama-Michigan game. Like, there's no backup plan for a lot of runs. So you can't rely on golf scrambling or, you know, checking down to someone else or going through his progressions. But when you are consistently moving the ball on a team on the ground, I would have been fine with them like running the ball on one of those fourth down situations. But to, we didn't so even discuss at, the worst call. So we get to that later. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 stick to it. Okay. So the analytics on so the analytics on this basically to to do so they had a fourth, they had a fourth and uh, two and a fourth and three. Those mm-hmm. are the two ones where they decided to go for it. Now, his, in the NFL, from t- in the last ten seasons, the conversion rate on a fourth and two is fifty-seven point two percent, and the conversion rate on a on a fourth and three is forty-seven point four percent. So once you've gone over three yards, you're basically saying you're less than a 50-50 chance of picking this up. Obviously that's not for, you know, like the analysts can get more specific to the team and the opposition you're up against, but that's the general rule. Now, when you go into the analytics of how it impacted their win percentage, which is the thing that they mostly focus on in terms of whether or not it's the right decision to do it. So going for it on the fourth and three would have given them a 39.1% win percentage. That's the decision right at the end of the game. Whereas kicking the field goal, 38.8%. So it's giving them a a 0.3% increase by going for it. So there you could say probably not worth it. And then on the fourth and two, the decision they made way earlier in the half, at that point, if they'd got the first down, their win percentage would have gone to 90.5. Had they kicked the field goal, they would have been 90.3. Yeah. So, so again, not a huge difference. Minimal. Like you, 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 you can't really make the statistical. Now where he then would make, say, the, the further thing to factor in. The flow. Is that he, 
That's what McVeigh said. Either the, the flow or, or the fact that they have a kicker they didn't trust. So that's the other thing. And a lot of people, this is where I disagree with some of the analysis that's been done. Because basically Badgley, everyone's highlighting that from 40 to 49 yards over the course of his career, he is 77.1 from that distance. He's 37 from 48. But the thing is, he had one really bad season, like five seasons ago, that has radically skewed that percentage. So over the past three seasons, he's 85.2% over that distance. So, and, and unfortunately, this season, he hasn't had very many field goal attempts, <laughs> and he has missed quite a few extra points. So you can see why the Lions wouldn't necessarily have the most faith in him, but is probably not quite as bad of a kicker as some people are trying to make it sound because they aren't sort of seeing that he's probably improved in the past three seasons. Yeah. I, I mean, I would have kicked both of those in the third quarter. I, I, you have a kicker on your team for a reason. If he's an NFL kicker and he can't make a 44-yard field goal, then why is he in the NFL? Well... Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could kind of say that about a lot of things, though, right? I mean, because so to go back to add that that extra degree of nuance, then the Lions went for it a lot on fourth down this season. They only converted that the fourth down attempts fifty two point five percent of the time, which is above like going back to those other statistics. Actually, above league average, they're pretty good for it, good at it. Probably slightly helped by the fact that they do it a lot. So again, that sample size, you kind of remove some of either the crazy fourth, like losing at the end of the game and going for it on fourth and 11, which is where a lot of teams, this from a statistical perspective, um, the outcomes get highly skewed. But you'd have to think if your odds of, if your success rate is 52.5 on fourth downs, do you think the odds of your kicker hitting one field goal from, let's just average it out to like 45 yards is not higher than 52.5%. Like that seems difficult to believe. Let's get to the really egregious call. At the end of the game, they get the ball back and they need two scores. They need a field goal and a touchdown. They drive down the field decently quick. I I wouldn't call it like the quickest drive, but they're making some headway. I think it was like a two-minute drive all, all said and done. They get the ball first and goal on the nine with 116 left and all three timeouts. So the amazing part, I actually think that they had all three timeouts because in today's NFL, quarterbacks and coaches call the dumbest timeouts when they probably shouldn't. But I'll give Campbell credit here. He held on to his timeouts. So you have all three. So what that means Basically, is if the Niners got the ball back, you could stop the clock after every time they tried to run a play and then force them to punt without running any additional time off the clock besides the actual plays. So let's say each play is six seconds. Yeah, roughly. Yeah, That's about 24 seconds they can waste off the clock before you get the ball back. You have that in your pocket. They then go first and goal on the nine. They do that pass to Fersker for eight yards where he doesn't get in that you talked about, where he almost kind of got in but forgot to to run after he caught it. 
second down and one at the one. They don't get it. And then on third and goal on the one, they decide to run the ball and don't get it and are forced to call a timeout, which they might not even had to have called the timeout still. They could have had a second play like ready to go that they run up to the line. I don't know if you want to do that on a fourth and goal where that, that play literally means the game no matter what. Maybe you don't want to do that. But regardless, they decided to call that timeout and then score on a throw the next play. It's not even a run. It's a throw on that play. I That to me is just such a bad – because now you've wasted your timeout and now you have to onside kick it. And in today's NFL, you're not getting an onside kick. I don't know why we even fucking try to do it anymore. You're really going NFL network with us with this today's NFL. Well, it is. Uh, I mean, the new rules, like with the new NFL onside rules, like you, I think that's, it's like 7% chance or something like that. Yeah. I mean, in in, in actual fact, they got kind of close. Now I know he touched the ball before the 10 yard, but it it wasn't far off being kind of perfectly executed. So um, they, you know, not that that matters, but it was close to being able to pull that off. Uh, yeah, the run is kind of inexcusable. I think in general, it actually frustrates me. And I would have just kicked the field goal way before. Like, I know you don't want to necessarily, you're then in the situation, you get the ball back and you now need a touchdown versus a field goal. But there's a moment in time where you can think to yourself, well, let's just, let's just get this back to a one score game and let's just move on with this because you know, there's no point in us scoring a touchdown as time expires to lose by three. So So, you had first, so to give you your point, you had first and 10 at the San Fran 24 with one forty left. So that would have been a 41 yard field goal and you would have potentially given them the ball back. Let's say at one thirty on the clock. If you stop them, that gives you the ball back with a minute left at, let's say it's a great punt at the 30-yard line with a minute left, no timeouts to get a touchdown. And I think the other thing you have to consider, right, is the Lions apparently don't trust their kicker. So at a point, Goff probably has a better chance to throw a Hail Mary than they do of kicking a 50-yard field goal, according to the Lions. According to the Lions. Yeah, because I mean, if it would really been me, and if I trusted my kicker, I would have tried to attempt the kick. They get to the San Francisco 49 when the two-minute warning happens, and I would have tried to have kicked the field goal then. Wait, what? A 65-yarder? <laughs> yeah. I mean, your odds of winning it are so slim at this point. When you really crunch it down, you need the ball back. You need the ball back again, and you have to score on the ensuing. I would have rather... if I. They didn't play the game in that way. If you see, like, the urgency that they showed in that drive uh, wasn't really there in the same way. But so they got the ball back with three minutes and two seconds on their own 25. And I would have said, absolutely, the goal of this drive is to be kicking a field goal before the two minute warning. Like, that is what we have to do. Or score a touchdown, obviously. I'm not like going down at the one to kick the field goal, but that. This it's it's where NFL teams really frustrate me. And this is where I'm going to give the 49ers a ton of credit in that game. They came out in that second half and they had so much urgency. The speed at which they got back to the line of scrimmage, 
how they were running plays. Where I mean, they scored 17 points in that third quarter. Some of that was helped by the events, the luckier events that transpired. But you could just see from the start, they played that. When they came out from the second half, I had a tinge of hope restored because you could tell that they were playing that game, not like that they needed to score 17 points to tie it, but that they were probably going to need to score 27, 30 points to tie it that they could make no assumption that the lions were not going to keep scoring pretty much at the rate at which they were. And so they couldn't afford six, seven minute drives. And so many NFL teams don't implement that early enough. And if I were critical of the lions again, and about their play calling, it's that when you get the ball back with three minutes and 11 seconds left and you need two scores, that first score has to happen before the two minute warning because that is allowing you to potentially have the other team get two first downs, depending on how it works out. You know, you can't have two third down conversions, but you could have, uh uh-oh, they picked up first down on the first attempt. It's not the end of the world. So that to me is the thing, the extra element, I would say, in terms of criticizing their approach later in the game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to reference your point, the Niners scored that 17 points uh, they went 150 yards in under eight minutes total to score that. So very quick. Um, you know, that was that was quite impressive. Yeah. And no, I mean, overall, the Lions can feel hard done by. I mean, they outplayed the Niners so dramatically in that first half. You know, the, to go back just to piss you off even more, the best half of football played by any team was the Detroit Lions in the first half of that game. I'll agree scene. with that. That doesn't piss me off. I agree with yeah. that. <laughs> no, they should have scored I... that touchdown. They would have been up twenty-one. <laughs> they still would have lost. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a more impressive loss. <laughs> they, you know what? They may still have lost because, but uh, no, I think that um, you know they they can feel really hard done by, not hard done by in a sense. They weren't. Not, it wasn't like anything else. Kind of, they weren't screwed by officiating or anything like that. But, you know, it's a difficult pill to swallow to have been that dominant in the first half and not been able to close it out. Yeah. And and I mean, and it goes back, right? I think that fourth down early on, I think was huge in, in a momentum swing. And then that next drive gives fumbles on that first play. I mean, those are two huge momentum swings um and you know we are a podcast that believes in momentum and it's that that at that point to me i like i honestly thought the niners were going to win as soon as gibbs fumbled that i genuinely thought like they're done and i didn't think they'd actually like i i I would never predicted the niners go up 10 and then actually the lions come back and almost have a chance like that i wouldn't have predicted but i when Gibbs fumbled it, I kind of thought, uh-oh, here we go. The Niners are going to just start coming back, score every drive, and you know, win with a field goal at the end of time or something like that. Oh, no. Once the fumble happened, to me, it was game over. I just yeah. felt like you were going to have one really deflated team. The same way I felt like when we were watching the Falcons blow it against the Patriots. Like There's a moment in time yeah. when too many things are going wrong too quickly. And recovering from that is pretty impossible. And actually, I think the Lions are slightly salvaged 
in terms of how bad that second half looks by that late touchdown, which only happens in a way because you get the Niners kind of going semi-prevent. Yeah. And like suddenly they're able to, it's like, well, why weren't they doing this all game? The conversation you and I like to love to have. It's like, well, well they did the, the first Niners, half. <laughs> they did. Well, they didn't in the sense that the first half they were running all over them. And then suddenly it's like, okay, now golf is kind of starting to move the ball downfield. It's like, well, yeah, because the Niners secondary is just dropping back to make sure they're not beaten yeah. on a 70 yard pass. Like the, the sort of, you know, focus of the game has shifted slightly, but yeah. Two tough fumbles by two, Rookies who had very good seasons. <laughs> yeah. Flowers and Gibbs. I mean, that's unfortunate. Two two rookies who had great, great seasons for their team as rookies. And at the end of the day, might have probably had the two most important plays and turning moments of those games. Yeah. And, and particularly with Zay Flowers, right? There is a chance that that is the iconic play of his career. That when in when he all is said and done with Zay Flowers, there's a possibility. Now he's obviously already had a bunch of spectacular plays. He will have a bunch more. Like I'm not doubting that he doesn't go on to like continue to have a great career. But fundamentally, given the importance of the moment, being in the AFC Championship game, there's no guarantees that he gets back to that stage of the playoffs ever again. There is a, that he retires, and it's like, what is the these Zay Flowers play? And it's like, oh yeah, that fumble when he had it punched out by by Snead against the Chiefs. There's Gibbs a little different because just fumbling as you kind of run into a line of of people feels different. Like it's obviously just as catastrophic, but you kind of less likely to be have that be the thing you think of when you when he kind of comes to mind. But we'll see. Obviously, they could change that completely. Now, obviously, we will do our NF our Super Bowl preview sometime next week. Are there any other NFL topics you'd like to cover before we switch on to some other sports? No, not particularly. I mean, I think let's let's wait and talk about some of the coaching changes uh, when we have some more time, uh, when there won't be playoff games being played for the next week and a half. Uh, but odd that. Bill Belichick was passed up on by the Falcons. Uh, I think that is kind of worrying for if Bill Belichick will have a job this year because it doesn't look like he's going to. <laughs> well, not a head coaching job, but yes, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think the thing is, the question would be, do I think he'll ever have one again? Because if I don't think if he get if he doesn't get hired in the next season, I don't think he ever coaches again. You don't think next season he comes back? I think at a certain moment in time, the age becomes more and more of a factor. And then yeah, the time, he gets older. Because he gets older. <laughs> no, but you know, it's just I know what you mean. I know the you focus mean. of like, what's the discussion is like, wait, how old His, is the head, head yeah. coach we're hiring? Like, and how long do we expect him to be around for? <laughs> like that becomes, you know, not all years are created equal, right? So it becomes more and more difficult. Whereas I do think there's a possibility, which is maybe why he won't have a job. There's obviously a lot of speculation that he is going to take a media job, probably with Fox. The reason why I could see him maybe not doing that, unless he has some good clauses in whatever contract he signs, is that someone getting fired, like there's some jobs that we thought might be available that weren't, like the Cowboys, 
potentially the Bills that maybe do open up or the Jags get off to a slow start and Doug Peterson goes. You know, there's a host of kind of potentially interesting jobs where you would say a rough opening six weeks for that head coach and they could be gone. And with Bill Belichick sitting there, he then becomes a super attractive prospect. Uh, so, but I, I, I struggle to think that if 12 months from now, because I'm also then trying to forecast, like, who do I think is fired next summer? Diff- or, or not, you know, in the off season. And I don't think the jobs will be as good. But who knows? They might have that Giants head coaching job. Oh, yeah. So he get the wins he needs. It would take him like 15 seasons. <laughs> he have his, celebrate his 100th birthday by getting the, the win he needed to break Hey, the maybe Shanahan shits the bed in another big game and he can take over the Niners. I mean, that's possible. I don't think Shanahan will be leaving, but I won't rule out that Shanahan shits the bed in another big game. That... You know, that was an important, speaking of people for their narratives, Shanahan coming through in a championship game. I mean, he needs it in the Super Bowl to really uh, kind of fix that, but that at least helped him. Hey, he has really boosted his stats, though, of coming back down this year. That's two big games now he's come back. Like, what was that narrative? He's 0-17 or something down. Yeah, no, yeah. Two big comeback wins for him. Speaking, transitioning to other sports, speaking of players or teams blowing it, I guess we can quickly address the fact that uh, Daniel Medvedev now has a pretty unwanted record in the world of tennis. He became the first man in the history of the open era of tennis to be leading by two sets in a final and blow it. So he was two sets up in the Australian Open a couple of years ago against Nadal and went on to lose... And he was two sets up against uh, Sinner at the at the weekend and went on to lose. And talking about those fine margins, right, in both of those instances, you kind of look back. So against Nadal, he was 6-2, 7-6, and 3-2 up. Nadal was serving, and he had three break points. It was love 40. He didn't manage to get the break, and then he went on to lose the match. Against Sinner, he was 6-3, 6-3 up. It was 4-all. Sinner was serving, and it was deuce. So essentially, at that point, you're thinking, I'm two points away from serving for the Australian Open. Didn't manage to get it. Was broken on his next service game. And then went on to lose the next set, 6-4, 6-4, 6-3. So, yeah, it's... uh, I have to admit... For someone, he is another good example of someone who has transitioned from being completely unlikable to actually seeming like quite a nice person. <laughs> and I thought how he handled that. He's very nice to, like when he loses in terms of congratulating his opponent, like he went yeah. across the net. And then I also think the point he made where they're like, oh, that's you losing in another final. And he said, yeah, I mean, I guess it's better to lose in the final than earlier on, though. Which sometimes gets lost in the idea. It's like, well, no, it would have been a better tournament for Medvedev if he'd lost in the fourth round. Like, still made more money and achieved more. Yeah. So I don't know if you saw uh, Nick Kyrgios made a comment about Medvedev that he said he had played him early on as a junior and, like, absolutely, our words, not his, thrashed him. 
and that he thought he was garbage and would never be a good tennis player. And now it turns out that Kyrgios is on the sidelines uh, commenting on his finals match, which is uh, quite ironic. But (laughs) uh, I I don't like what you just said. Just just you describing those situations makes me nervous. And as someone who never performed well under pressure in sporting events, and even now, like in much less high stakes games, still cannot perform well. The thought of being in the finals of a match of a sport where it's just you and being in those situations and not getting those breaks, especially in the Nadal one and not getting those break points, like I can beyond see how that just crushes you and like just snowballs you into a loss. Like it, it, it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. I mean, especially, and obviously as it happens more and more, like you can understand him being able to process it in the moment of like, look, I still made the final. This was a successful tournament. I would have taken being a runner up when the tournament started. Like this is a great achievement, but the thing you'd have to be concerned for him going forward, obviously he's won the U S open already, but the next time he's in a grand slam final, which you undoubtedly will be, and he's two sets up. There has to be, you know, it goes back to some of that. Like Djokovic would have no seed of doubt in his mind if you told Djokovic, "Hey, you're in the you're in the final. It's six three, six three, four all, and it's deuce on the other guy's serve." And he'd be like, "Great, I'm probably going to break him. If not, worst case scenario, this is going to a tie break, and I'm winning the tie break." Whereas for Medvedev now, he could probably be like six love, six love, five love. And there's going to be part of him that thinks, shit, like I, I could blow this. Like I've seen it. And it's what makes tennis, it's not, there's a lot of other sports like this, right? But it separates tennis from, you know, sports where the clock is a factor. Because you have to keep winning. Like that's always the thing, right? From that mindset perspective. Like football, you can run out the clock. Soccer, football, you can run out the clock. Rugby, you can run out the clock. You don't have to keep scoring necessarily to win, but in tennis or volleyball or whatever, you got to keep winning points. Otherwise, like if you, you can be match, you can have won every match, you can win every point up to six love, six love, five love, 40 love. And if you don't win another point, it's, it's game over. And, you know, that's from a mental standpoint, that makes it a little bit more challenging of kind of getting over the hump. And I guess tying in as well with the NFL storyline, coaches resigning, leaving. Oh. Where will they be next? Oh. Big story from Friday shocked shocked the football world. Jurgen Klopp announcing that this will be his last season as Liverpool manager, basically saying that he is getting too tired. He doesn't have the energy necessary to commit to the job. And Pretty so much out of just- nowhere. Seemingly, yeah. I mean, it really was a pretty stunning announcement. And I think if you'd told me, part of part of me thinks this might have been, like Pep Guardiola might have been thinking of this being his last Manchester City season. Oh, he wanted to one-up him. <laughs> and he kind of stolen his thunder, you know? like Kind of like Belichick and Saban. <laughs> yeah, got out like super early, like Guardiola now, like when he makes that announcement. Maybe he'll do it at the very end of the season. If they've won a treble or something, he gets to do it. But he can't now say, hey, everybody, just so you know, this is my last Manchester City season. Because then it just feels like, all right, we've heard it before. But 
pretty surprising. Uh, obviously, the greatest manager in modern day Liverpool history, kind of last 30 years, uh, without a doubt, not only because won the Premier League, won the Champions League, a number of other things, but also just turned Liverpool into uh, you know incredibly relevant club on a both domestic and European basis, which they hadn't been since the 80s. So did a great job. Occasionally annoyed me, but did a great job. Yeah, I mean, let's wait and see. I mean, maybe he might have one more title under his belt as he retires, but or not retires, but steps, steps down away. from Liverpool. Uh, what do you feel, though, overall about doing this, like coming out and saying this? It, do you think this, I mean, so for me, when I look at it, maybe it slightly benefits in that the players now know and are going to try just that extra bit harder. I don't know if I buy that. Like, I don't think if players at the end of the day really care that much. Like they're going to play hard no matter what, but maybe it does. Maybe it gives them that extra incentive on the flip side. You could also have just privately told your team that and not told anybody else outside of that. And even told your organization this and not have it come out. I am not a big fan of this because I think this is a spotlight grab no matter what. Like, I don't know why you need to do this. What, what, how does this help anyone really? I mean, you could tell your organization and they could know and they could start having ideas as to what to do next. You know, what are we going to do? Why do you have to come out and announce it in this grand gesture? So when it comes to players, I agree with you when they have their kind of retirement tour at the end of the season and they let everyone know because it really doesn't matter. Right. Again, that's a situation where maybe you tell your manager or someone so they can start to plan in terms of how are we going to replace this person? But most of the time they probably thinking about that anyway, because if you're getting old enough that you're close to retirement, you would hope that your team were sort of thinking, well, we need to have a short list of options in terms of how we will go about it whenever this person decides to resign. In the case of a coach or a manager, I get it a bit more making the public announcement because you're going to have to tell if you don't, either you're not going to tell no one and then you probably have to lie to people. And I'm not saying like, who cares if you lie to the press or lie to fans about something like this? You think it'll get leaked anyway? But you're going to have to tell if you want to be honest, right? Players are signing new contracts, renewing contracts. You're signing players to come and join the club. And part of that at times is going to be you pitching, like, what does the future of this club look like? You know, like if Liverpool are making a signing in this window, which, you know, they might not do before the window closes now, but they, that player would probably meet with Jurgen Klopp and say like, well, what is the, you know, what's the plan look like for the next couple of seasons? Which, what types of players are you looking to sign? You know, who, you know, what role do you think I'd have within the team? And, a player re-signing his contract might have that same discussion with Jurgen Klopp. Like what you're a young player, like what role do you envisage for me two years from now? Now, either you have to lie to that person and say, look, I think it will be this and that when deep down, you know, you won't even be there anymore. And then maybe they feel betrayed when it turns out you leave or you have to tell them at which point you've probably got 40, 50, 60 people who know, and it's going to get leaked. 
And then you're going to have the second half of the season being talking about, like, we all know, like, every press conference. Reports say, Jurgen, that you're going to be leaving Liverpool at the end of the season. Yeah. So uh, a manager or a coach, I mean, we, we kind of saw it with Bill Belichick, right? We watched him for the final second half of that season. Every press conference was like, hey, Bill, reports are that this is your last season at the Patriots. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> it was, and, and that was a little bit sadder because he was kind of being fired, like so a little bit different. But still, you don't want to go through it. You don't want to. It's painful, I'm sure. Maybe Belichick did kind of know weeks before, and he did have to lie to people and say, like, no, I, I plan on being the coach here next season. You know, that's... So I can kind of get it in that sense. You... But... It's going to be a bit tiresome. Like we are going to have to do go through now a lot of Jurgen Klopp's last blank match against Manchester City, match against Everton, FA Cup match. You know, like all of the the whole match at Anfield, match at Old. You know, whatever we're going to have to go through that at least another ten times in the next five months, and that's going to be a little bit annoying. But it is what it is. Like I can kind of get what he why he did it. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's true. It, there is probably no good way to do it in today in today's climate, Eddie. <laughs> in today's Premier League, it's it's hard in today's to Premier League. It's so difficult because it's going to get leaked. It, I mean, there is no way it doesn't get leaked. Probably within a day of he has a private in-house meeting with just like you know the organization and the players. It's it's yeah, done. like it's so many players, right? And those those players would tell their agents. And yeah. the, in and one of and those their agents, agents tell their wives, and then their wives tell their mistresses, and then or their, their agent tells tell one other. Right? Yeah. No, but I mean realistically, without an eight, you know, your your player will tell an agent, an agent will, you know, who knows? And then an agent has another player he's representing, and they say, "Hey, I'd really like to move to Liverpool this summer." He goes, "Hey, you know, keep it between us, but maybe you don't because, uh, you know, I, I have a player who's there already, and he says that Jurgen Klopp has told the team that he won't be there next season." You know, and then that player feels like he has no real obligation to not leak it to a few more people. So yeah. it's it's impossible to imagine telling enough people that it's relevant. You kind of address the issue and then not have it leaked. Uh, I actually have one thing I forgot to say. One little note, just going back to the NFL really quickly, Spe- specifically about Hutchinson from the Lions. Not I'm gonna I'm gonna pinpoint him, but. He's not the only. Is this the eye makeup? It's the eye black. Like, <laughs> just. All right, we've all seen the program. <laughs> just, just, Speaking of which, I watched the program. It was randomly on two weeks ago. It is so good and such a great movie to start halfway through and explain to someone, like, what's going on. It is, it is phenomenal. Like, this guy, Latimer, he was, like, pretty weak. Then he hit the weight room and they think maybe he took steroids because he was push pressing 600 pounds and screaming like a psycho in the weight room. But they're not sure. <laughs> and like kind of just explaining how crazy that – but the movie's so good. But it just brings to mind because Vladimir like paints his entire face with the eye black yeah. in the one scene. And now but, just genu- but just genuinely. I get it. You know, Obviously, for glare and stuff, it, it serves a purpose. Like There is a reason why people do it. And if you're just going to put a little bit of black underneath your eyes to potentially help you 
see the ball better, see things better. I get it. Deal it. But to actually be doing kind of makeup on your face because you think it either looks cool or it's kind of intimidating, you're a real dork. Like there's no two ways about it for me. It's it's it would be difficult for me to take you seriously if you and I were sitting in the in the locker room waiting to get ready for the NFC Championship game, and I'm watching you look in a mirror, applying eye black in a sort of artistic manner to your face, and you're like, I look fierce now. I would just be like, God, we're fucked. You're literally describing the exact scene from the program. They actually show him looking into the mirror and well, doing it. So good. We know, but of course, <laughs> I, of course, he's, looking, he's, not, he's not just blindly smearing it on, right? You know, so. and 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 high school and college, I can get it. You're young. You have like these. You see a movie, you want to do it, or like you're just like crazy yeah. a little bit. But when you're a professional and you're like, all right, do you like honestly? Do you think that uh, George Kittle? Name? Do you yeah. think George Kittle was like, I don't know if Fuck. I can, I don't know if I can block this guy. Oh shit! Did, did you see his makeup? There's no way I'm getting through him. Like it's, it's just stupid. It's just stupid. Anyway, that's that's that. I was thinking Trent Williams, but I think he even gives less of a shit. <laughs> yeah, he definitely doesn't give a shit. But obviously, George Kittle had the couple of highlight blocks on him, so you know, clearly didn't work. Now, transitioning uh, away from, I mean, maybe, does that wrap up sporting topics for you or anything else you'd want to include before a little bit of? Yeah, I think that's about it for me. Well, we had a listener submitted idea. Whoa. So, friend of the podcast, Jake, former guest of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, sent in. He knows obviously how much you like to quiz me, and he sent me an article. Which oh was... God, I don't trust any quiz. Uh, Jake sends. It's probably like the most difficult quiz on the planet. <laughs> it's, so it's not a direct. What was quiz. the thirteenth track in the nineteen seventy five album released by the Rolling Stones? <laughs> the question the the article is about the most streamed TV shows in the United States in twenty twenty three. Oh, this is tough though because, like, how they qualify streamed. Like, everyone releases these random numbers and stuff. Well, do you have a guess as to which television show was the most yeah. streamed? So this is on the basis actually. I, of actually, I bet, I bet you. I bet you I can get it. I bet you clarify. I can get it. Minutes of streaming. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think I know because I took part of it. And it is? Suits. It is Suits, yes. Yep. Yeah, what? Seven, I, you know what's funny is I went back and was re-watching it. This is my second watch of Suits. And I think I literally stopped at the exact same point I stopped the first time I watched through. I still have yet to finish that show. <laughs> so in total, Suits last year racked up $57.7 billion minutes viewed on streaming platforms in can i guess some of the other ones or is that Uh, it is that was it just number one uh no it's i don't have a a complete list but i have the top 10 some of the top 10 ones so do you want to try and and 
identify some of the other popular ones from the top 10? Yeah, I think another one probably like a TV show like Friends is probably up there. So like Friends, you- Friends, yeah, with 25 billion. Okay, what number is... Okay. Um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go deep cut here. Kids show. Although, is this streaming minutes, you said, right? It's time. This is streaming minutes. So it, it, this is going to be tough because they're very short sh- shows. I was going to say Bluey. Uh, it's... Bluey Bluey has 43.9 billion minutes. So it's it's on it's higher than a lot of the Okay. It's it, it's, it's there. Okay. I don't get them listed in uh, order here, but yeah, Bluey Kids Shows factor. So from a kids shows perspective, you have Coco Melon. Never heard of it, but it's a Nickel it's a Netflix. Coco Melon, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 36.3 I mean, billion. Yeah. I mean, the office. If, if Friends is on there, the office has got to be on there. Bluey, I tell you, Bluey's number two. It's behind when you look at the numbers. Bluey's behind Suits. The office is not on this list. Ooh, really? Yeah. It's no. got to be all these shows like that, though. Maybe like something like Grey's Anatomy. It's like Grey's, twenty-five seasons, right? Grey's Anatomy is there. NCIS is there. The Big Bang yeah, Theory. Yeah, NCIS. What Big about? Bang. I was just. I was. I was gonna say Big Bang. Oh, oh, I got one. I got one. Gilmore Girls. Not on the list. <gasps> now, what do you think was the most popular original TV show of 2023? Because obviously most of the shows we're, we're covering there are no longer being made. So show oh, that, like, like a season that actually was released in 2023, what was the most popular show? Ted Lasso. Correct. Everyone watched season three of Ted Lasso. I guess the makers of Bluey might disagree with that classification, but, but yeah, I don't know why they're getting disrespected. I, I mean, Bluey just gets screwed because they're like seven minute episodes, <laughs> but they get helped. And I know this from with my Pe- people sister. just play it endlessly. <laughs> hey, they play it. Hey, they either play it endlessly for their kid or it just gets left on at times anyway. Yeah, exactly. So like you've moved on to another task and technically Bluey has just racked up another like four hours of streaming while yep. it's been like muted on your TV that's still going. So, you know, there's pros and cons to the the children's TV classification for trying to get those minutes together. Now, after our obviously little break since our last episode, this weekend I went out I saw... Vasilis, popular podcast figure on the Big Chill podcast, and got a nice little vast anecdote. It's not one of his absolute all-time classics, but uh, a friend of mine, a female friend, about six months ago on a night out at one moment in time, had commented that she he Vass was wearing like a t-shirt with like quite tight cut sleeves. And she had commented not to Vasilis, but to me and a couple of other people of like, wow, I'm actually surprised Vass has like pretty big arms. His arms look pretty nice. So she had made this comment. And then about a month later, just to try and give him a little ego boost one time when we were together, I was like, hey, just so you know, you know, a few weeks ago when we were out, this girl said that you had pretty nice arms. Now, Vass, some people would be like, oh, that's nice. You know, like kind of Vass was just like just completely reinforcing his already highly inflated ego. So he took it not only in stride, it was just 
expected. That like, almost like it was a slight criticism. Like, why yes. wouldn't she think exactly. that? Exactly. <laughs> like, doesn't everybody in the bar comment on how nice my arms are? Like, I just thought this was uh, an everyday... Not activity. when I'm around, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, and so then, uh, this Saturday was the first time that he had been out in a bar where she was also out. And then, uh, at the end of the night, she came up to me. She was like, Vass, like, how much has Vass had to drink? He's being kind of weird. And I was like, I don't know. He seems fine. Like, what's he doing? And she's like, just while we keep talking, he keeps asking me to feel his arms. And he's, <laughs> and he's flexing and feeling oh his arms. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, that's because that thing, that, like, throwaway comment that you made to me six months ago, I told Vass. And then for five months, obviously, he has just been sitting on this and been like, next time I see her, the gun show is coming out. Like, I am going to make sure she she gets the full vast bicep experience. Oh, that's so good. Oh, God. There are some times I really wish I was still around. That's one of those. (laughs) I just love it because, I mean, he didn't make a show of it. This was just like a one-on-one thing. Oh, yeah. There's a chance that I could have never even learned. And... The fact that she, like, she couldn't remember the fact that she had complimented his arms, which made the whole experience even weirder for her, but then way more amusing of like, no, 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 you've, you've made her do this, but she can't even remember the fact that she's ever said anything nice about your arms in the first place. But uh, he, he always, he's such good comedy value, Vass. Oh, you need a friend like that. <laughs> it, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. In Entourage, who is he in Entourage? Because he almost he almost qualifies as several characters. I mean, you could maybe make the argument that the entire Entourage as a television show is just like an amalgam of Vasilis. <laughs> <laughs> that like it just as if someone met him, someone traveled into the future and met Vasilis and was like, you know what? I think you could take elements of that guy's character, break them into individual people. No, no, he's not Eric. Uh, you, I got to quickly bring up. So the, Eric is Kevin Connolly. No, who's he's like, not. who's like his manager for most of the show. He's really not him. He's, he's a little bit. So realistically, he's definitely, he's definitely, a, he's a mix he's definitely Johnny, Johnny drama. drama and turtle and turtle yeah he's <laughs> yeah. He's, he's turtle drama that's uh... <laughs> yeah they you know what they probably did you're right they went into the future they saw him and they were like this guy he's too much for television right now we need to break him up into two characters the world cannot handle vasilis in the entourage, but he needs to be th- two separate people. Here's the thing: is if I really wanted to go one step further, his so his his personality as a friend is a mixture of Johnny Drama and Turtle. But when you see him at work, then maybe he is a little bit of Eric, and in his mind, he's Vincent. And then, <laughs> yes. and then, and then probably You're right, he is the entire. So, he really is in different ways all of them. <laughs> we should just start calling him Entourage. <laughs> oh, he'd love it. It's the one thing Bass probably really wants is a good nickname. Yeah. 
you know, it's the one thing he's never really had, at least with us. I'm sure in Greece he probably has one, but. Oh, that's so funny. Entourage would be a good one. And then he'd love to tell people, like, why do they call you Entourage? Because I'm so good, I'm my own Entourage. No, no, he <laughs> no, he would just focus on, he's like, I'm Vincent. He would just be like, they're my Entourage. Like, he would just, then he would just be running through the scenario where we are all, we exist to orbit the presence of Vasilis. You know, like, that's what he would, how he would see that. Uh, that's funny. Uh, well, I think we should probably wrap it up there. And then next episode, we have a lot of True Detective to catch up on. And I am dying to ask you whether enticing you with mac and cheese could get you out of a room for 30 minutes. I'm uh, interested to see what your response to that would be. I haven't seen the latest episode. <laughs> okay. So you've just spoiled the whole thing for me. Keep in mind, I'm comparing you to a four-year-old child in that analogy. <laughs> I'll answer it quickly. You watch it. I'll answer it quickly. Potentially, yes. Yeah. I mean, well, sure, we can I'm debate hungry. on the mac and cheese because that's, that's, I think, where it gets in, into the debate. And I don't want to spoil the episode because that is probably the biggest plot point of the episode is the type of mac and cheese they make. But uh, yeah, let's let's discuss that next podcast. So I guess I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. See ya. <laughs> We're all fucked up. Talk to you later. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>